Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for joining me today. I'm looking forward to these uh, these two hours together with you. So uh, let's get our schedules cleared and let's uh, spend some time together. We're going to have Rob Louie on the program in just about uh, 45 seconds. That's going to get the program started, as it always does on Tuesdays. And then Dr. Greg Borgon will be joining me in the studio. We're going to talk about values. It's going to be great. And then hour two, my uh, friend and Bible mentor, Jeff Verdorn, will be in the studio. We're going to talk about the gospel and I think he might have a chart. Uh-oh, you know what that means. Uh, I'm just saying, Rebecca, you're going to be busy tonight. I can't believe you said the word. I've that got word. The, I've got the Twins home opener tonight, so I can't be sending out Jeff charts tonight, just so you know. So it's on me? I'm not saying it's on you. I'll, <laughs> I'll take half the workload. How's that? Well, we'd be happy to send out Jeff's charts, you know, once he gets here and we actually get a chance to talk about the charts. Yeah, that's Don't a good send idea. them yet, but that, yes. That's a good idea. It's but a I, nice promise for people. It is. I always want to get things started on Tuesday uh, for, with Rob Louie. He's the executive editor of The Daily Signal. I always encourage my listeners to go to dailysignal.com, dailysignal.com. Rob, welcome back to the show. It's great to be with you, Bill. Thank you. Thank you. Now, uh, I think there's a new piece up, not even quite yet on the Daily Signal, but from uh, Doug Badger about analyzing the COVID data from Florida. Maybe it's not the new New York. That's right. Well, Dr. Deborah Burks uh, stirred some headlines this week when she suggested that it was. And uh, and we took a look at this uh, with some of our health experts. Doug Badger is uh, one of the, the great uh, scholars that works at the Heritage Foundation and somebody who is doing some tremendous work to try to make sense of what is going on in our country right now with uh, with COVID-19. And, uh, and the three big states in question are Florida, Texas, and California, obviously states with huge populations that have seen sharp increases in the number of COVID-19 and infections. And when Doug actually took a look at the data and the deaths per million residents, uh, it's nowhere near as bad as New York's. Now, Bill, I need to say from the outset that, that every death is, a, is, is one too many when it comes mm-hmm. to, to this virus. And so our heart goes out to all those families who are, are uh, being impacted in, in so many ways uh, by the virus. But New York City and New York State in particular were hit tremendously hard, as was New Jersey, Connecticut, and Massachusetts. Uh, Florida uh, is, is nowhere near uh, that death rate uh, when it comes to um, those states, and it's actually below the U.S. average. Now, what does this mean, and, and why did uh, Dr. Burks and why have others, you know, started to raise alarm about this? Well, you know, it's really interesting because, uh, as we've seen, uh, more people may be getting infected with the virus, but they're not having uh, the, the, the consequences that we saw in some of these other places. And that's because in, in New York, uh, it infected the nursing homes quite hard, hit the mm-hmm. nursing homes quite hard, and that, that population obviously is, is more vulnerable. And, uh, and that's why, as we've talked about on this show repeatedly, it's really important that uh, that Americans continue to take those precautions, to c- continue to look out for for their neighbor, uh, and 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 you know, we uh, share a personal story here, Bill. Uh, I have a 99 year old great aunt uh, oh, wow. who's in a nursing home. And uh, she just celebrated her 99th birthday on uh, on July 4th, Independence Day. What a great day to have a birthday! 
And uh, and every Saturday we do a Skype call with her. Oh. Uh, and it is really tremendous. I, we, we've talked to her actually more uh, in, the, in the past few weeks and months than we did previously, because obviously I don't make it up to, to New York to visit as, as frequently as I'd like. And there are different ways that we can connect with that, with that population. It is tough that my parents can't go visit her. They would see her almost every other day. Uh, they obviously can't go into the nursing home anymore because of COVID-19. But, uh, but I think that those policies that they put in place have kept them safe. Uh, there haven't been any any uh, residents at this particular nursing home um, who've been infected with COVID-19, and we have to keep praying that that's the case. And uh, and for those populations that are vulnerable, we need to take precautions. But we need to also take a close look at the data and not rush to conclusions. And I think that that's unfortunately something that, that uh, Dr. Burks and Dr. Fauci and others who I deeply admire and respect uh, have sometimes uh, had a tendency to do. So what do you think about their uh, predictions on on schools opening or not opening this fall. Uh, well, that's a that, that's another tough one because yeah, uh, you really know I is. think as we as we've said all along, uh, these need to be these are decisions that need to be made at the local level. And I think in most cases, uh, fortunately, the governors have come around to recognize that that you can't make a statewide decision right. that uh, that affects all of the schools. You need to really empower those local school districts to figure out what is best for them. In some cases, large school districts, like the one that um, that, that my children go to, have decided that they're going to go virtual. And uh, it's going to create a, a hardship on parents, and uh, the parents will have to figure out how exactly to make that work. And uh, and other school districts have decided to soldier on. Even some school districts in the same area, for instance, a lot of private schools in the Washington D.C. area, I know, uh, will be having in in person uh, class with students. They'll obviously take precautions like social distancing and maybe even require them to wear masks. But uh, they're going ahead with it. And you've seen parents pull their kids out of the public school and put them in to religious schools in particular because uh, they're the ones that uh, in many cases are providing that alternative instruction. So I I think uh, there's no overwhelming national consensus on this. And anybody in Washington who tries to tell you that there should be uh, probably doesn't know what they're talking about because each community is going to be responding differently uh, to COVID-19. And some places will be hotspots and others won't be affected nearly as much. Mm -hmm. Rob, when I look at uh, Governor Andrew Cuomo, he made a pretty deadly mistake with the coronavirus crisis. He signed an executive order forcing nursing homes in, in New York to accept patients who were testing positive. So there was close to 5,000 New Yorkers died from COVID in nursing homes. Yet his approval rate and this whole uh, his whole um, relative to governor's Across the country, his his approval ratings are really high. How do you reconcile all that? It, it just goes to show the impact that the news media can have uh, in terms of public opinion, and uh, and I think it's one of the reasons. That, look, you saw early on in March when President Trump first started doing his briefings and brought people together. I mean, I. I don't remember the numbers precisely, but I remember Trump's poll numbers going up because he generally received pretty favorable news coverage. It lasted for about a week and then it went away. But uh, Andrew Cuomo has been able to sustain that throughout this, in part because his brother is on CNN and gives him, uh, you know, pretty softball interviews uh, pretty frequently. Mm-hmm. So the the media narrative around Andrew Cuomo has been generally positive, despite the controversial policy uh, to send COVID-19 patients from hospitals into nursing homes. Uh, which was uh, unfortunately uh, uh, terribly misguided and resulted in the deaths of of uh, many uh, many of our seniors as a result of this. So, 
why Andrew Cuomo has not received more scrutiny is a good question. I think that uh, what we're seeing in this country right now is is a media that's uh, in, in some cases thrown out all uh, notion of objectivity or fairness, and they are intent on pursuing an agenda. And too often that agenda means uh, going after uh, conservatives, Christians, uh, Republicans, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and uh, I think that it's uh, it's really unfortunate uh, in, in the type of coverage we've seen. And I think that's why it's important for organizations like the Daily Signal to exist and hopefully hold them accountable. Yeah. Rob, Portland is such a nice town, but they boy, they have problems that are not going away. How many, I don't know, it's been 50, 60 days in a row where they've been having uh, trouble in the city at night? It, it is. It is a, a long time, and uh, it's something that I think uh, is is hopefully um, uh, w- with the presence of more law enforcement, we can get things under control. But I think this is uh, maybe a sign of things to come uh, if uh, if things continue to spiral out of control. Uh, we all want to be safe in our, in our cities. We also want to respect the, the right to peacefully protest. But I think what you're seeing taking place in Portland is no longer a peaceful protest. Uh, some of the images that the, that the Department of Justice has released. Mm, it's unbelievable. Uh, you know, yeah, exactly. The, 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 the chemicals, the equipment, um, the, uh, the ammunition, the bombs, you name it. I mean, this is disturbing, uh, highly disturbing. And you have to wonder, uh, who are these people out there who are actually defending uh, these individuals who are bringing these things. Uh, this is an attack on on a federal building. It's an attack on our government. Uh, Attorney General Bill Barr gave some strong testimony to Congress today on this topic. And I expect that you're going to continue to see the Trump administration uh, focus their attention on this because they recognize that it could, it, could, it could quickly spread to other cities beyond Portland. And there is a da- real danger when it comes to that. No kidding. Did you see some of the, the Bill Barr today? Did you? I did, yes. Yeah. It got pretty ugly, didn't it? It did. Well, <laughs> I mean, I think to be expected, given yeah. the political climate that uh, that we live in today. Um, but yes, there is uh, there's there's certainly um, uh, a lot of uh, tension in, in the room between Bill Barr and, and Democrats. Uh, right. the, the attorney general covered a variety of, of topics. Uh, you even had some some prominent Democrats calling on him to resign. I know that uh, Elizabeth Warren made headlines uh, for that today. Uh, but you know, look, the fact of the matter is that that Bill Barr is is a tremendous public servant. He's somebody who's uh, devoted, uh, you know, a significant uh, portion of his life to uh, to public service, and uh, and we should be thankful for that. And I think he's also somebody who genuinely cares in in the the, the safety and well being of of the American citizens. And as the Attorney General, who's in, in charge with enforcing the law of this country, uh, I would expect him to say exactly the things that he talked about today when it comes to law and order. Rob, on the at the Daily Signal, of course, you know there's a great article on mail-in voting and why it's a bad idea. And Virginia Allen did such a nice job on the podcast I listened to, um, really nicely done. Uh, tell our voters again, remind them why mail-in voting is a bad idea. Yes, and, and we have a great scholar in Hans von Spakovsky who, who oh, yeah. did that interview he with was Virginia. Great. Uh, yes, Hans is uh, is a, a preeminent expert on this topic. Uh, he is somebody who um, y- you can turn to uh, whenever I need uh, you know the latest on what an election law uh, decision might mean, or 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 just the in- tremendous encyclopedic knowledge he has about uh, about this topic. And so, yes, there are a variety of reasons uh, why why mail-in voting is a bad idea. And in part, uh, it's it's you, you look no further than some of the uh, controversies that we've seen recently, and the ability for individuals who are uh, you know 
working in devious ways to uh, engage in fraud when it comes to mail-in voting. So I think, first of all, um, you know, when you're not physically going to cast your vote at a polling place, there's always the opportunity uh, for, for individuals to, to take ballots that might be sent via mail mm, and right. intercept them uh, to, you know, to, to hopefully, uh, there, uh, you know, we can count on the Postal Service to deliver them from point A to point B. But as we saw in a recent case in, in New Jersey, uh, that wasn't the case. You know, that there, there was an election that was impacted by this. I know President Trump has, has spoken about this and his concerns about using mail-in voting for, for the presidential ele- election in November. And, uh, and Hans goes through these examples. In fact, Bill, I should point out that the Heritage Foundation maintains a voter fraud database. And that database includes all of the cases that we know about. Now, these are only cases that we know about. There could be others out there that exist that uh, that tracks these things. So it's broken down by all 50 states. Uh, it's a really great resource for any of your listeners who would like to find out um, you know, what exactly is taking place in this country around the topic of voter fraud. It's at heritage.org slash voter fraud. And uh, you can see uh, the running list of, of those cases. You can also click on your state to see what's taken place uh, recently uh, in that venue and, uh, and, and have a better understanding of the topic. And so I think that what we've seen time and time again is there are convictions uh, when it comes to voter fraud. And mail-in voting is just one type of example that we've seen. But there are plenty of others that we need to be mindful of. There are individuals who want to gain power uh, through through this type of fraud, and uh, they will stop at no ends to do it. Yeah. Uh, Rob, pronounce Hans's name again. Hans von Spakovsky is, you know, uh, is the name. He's a former federal election commissioner. Yeah. Uh, he's somebody who who has just tremendous knowledge on this topic. I expected him to be snootier with a name like that, but he was very accessible. I really enjoyed listening to him. Oh, Hans is is, is tremendous. <laughs> yeah. he, he he certainly is. And Bill, I I, I should um, I should note for you if if you're li- I'll give them the address again. It's heritage.org/slash/voterfraud. You can actually br- the way we've organized this database is you can refine it by the type of fraud, the type of case, oh, cool. uh, the criminal case, uh, the year by state. So I, I mean, anybody who tries to tell you that that voter fraud is a non-issue, uh, what we've tried to do here with our database is to to show definitively uh, that there are cases out there. These are these are actually cases that have been adjudicated. So, I mean, wow. it's not just things that we've read about in the newspaper. All right, we'll be back in just a minute. Rob Blue is my guest, of course, executive editor of The Daily Signal. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Rob Blue is my guest, as he always is on Tuesdays to get the show started. Executive editor of The Daily Signal. Always head over to dailysignal.com. It's great. All right, uh, Rob, talk about an interesting, uh, brave baseball player who stood up against Black Lives Matter agenda. He's taking some pushback, isn't he? He is, yes. The San Francisco Giants uh, player decided that he would not take a knee uh, when many of his teammates did because he said, based on his uh, Christian beliefs, that he did not uh, support the the agenda from the Black Lives Matter organization. I think it's important at this point, Bill, to acknowledge that there is a difference between the slogan, Black Lives Matter, and the organization, which is quite a radical Marxist group, a group that, um, in this case... uh, 
does not uh, support the nuclear family. They think that uh, it should be abolished. And, uh, and that is certainly something that as a Christian, um, this, uh, this particular player, uh, Sam Con- uh, Coonrod, uh, said that he, um, you know, it was just something that he, he didn't feel that he could support. And, uh, and frankly, uh, no one should be required to kneel, I agree. Uh, you know, about this. Um, he, he also raised the concerns about Marxism. And uh, this is, you know, look, something that uh, Tony Perkins, who, who wrote the piece for the Daily Signal, says there are, uh, you know, well-meaning Christians who, uh, you know, believe that Black Lives Matter is a crusade for racial justice, uh, that, it, that it is a peaceful group. And there are, there are others who recognize that the founders of the group, and, and when you look at their true agenda, uh, actually believe about something quite radically different uh, than, than what, uh, what, might, um, what might come to the surface. And so all Major League Ball teams uh, obviously honor Black Lives Matter, and that's their, their right to do so. Uh, but I don't think we should be uh, shaming uh, any ball players that don't want to partake or participate in that. Uh, just as, uh, just as I think, you know, uh, there are people who disagree with Colin Kaepernick when he kneeled for the national anthem. Um, and, uh, and, and look, if you're going to, if you're going to ha- defend Colin Kaepernick for that, I don't know how you can come down on this other ball player for, for exerting his own public, uh, his own personal opinion on this topic. Mm-hmm. So, uh, representative John Lewis got a, a nice tribute, didn't he? He certainly did. Uh, deservedly so. I mean, John Lewis was a tremendous American, a civil rights leader, uh, a congressman, uh, and somebody who, I think, as I heard, brought out the best in, in a lot of individuals in terms of how he approached things. Even recently, you know, calling for peaceful demonstrations when mm-hmm. we saw so much violence uh, ravage our cities. Uh, you know, so in his, even in his final days, he was really encouraging uh, the American people to, to follow in the footsteps of Martin Luther King, somebody who, who he appeared with at the, the March for Washington. And so, uh, so John Lewis, you know, rightfully uh, lying in state at the U.S. Capitol, um, uh, you know, the, the celebration of his life is, I think, something that, uh, that we should all partake in. And, and, the, and the lessons that we can learn from him, I think, will make us all better individuals, better Americans. And uh, it's sad to, to lose a, a towering figure like him. Mm-hmm. I find it interesting, uh, especially here in Minneapolis, where I live, in the communities, they're starting to establish uh, watch groups. um, And some of them are armed people to protect the residents. That's uh, right. And and even erecting uh, barricades in response just to this uh, surging crime levels. Yeah, well, I think the individual citizens recognize that there's a, a role that they need to play, and there's also concern about uh, the attacks, the sustained attacks we see on on our police force um, in, in those cities that haven't already defunded them. So, look, uh, Bill, I think that uh, we're living in in certainly interesting times, and and this is uh, going to present the American people with uh, with a stark choice. Hopefully, there will be a choice, um, you know, uh, come November to make a decision about what direction they they want to take this country. And that that's not on the national level; that's also at the local level and and all sorts of different levels of government. So this is why, uh, you know, it, it's important to exercise that that right to vote uh, and uh, to register to vote and do all those other things that that go into that process, so that we don't necessarily have to resort to these. Uh, these personal protections squads and other things. Uh, there, there's there's individuals out there that uh, are trained to do that, and uh, and hopefully they can get back to doing their jobs. Uh, Rob, any news from the Coronavirus Commission? Yeah, actually, Bill, uh, we we decided that uh, we would uh, 
uh, release an executive summary of our report and nice. put out a, a list of the 15 uh, different actions that we felt that individuals could take uh, to help prevent and combat COVID-19 and also, um, you know, make sure that uh, they were uh, contributing, you know, in other ways. Uh, so, uh, again, the website's coronaviruscommission.com. The commission was something that we established way back in April at a time when we felt that the federal government didn't have all the answers. And so we wanted to make sure that, uh, that the American citizens were able to do their part. So uh, every look, th- I'll give you just a few. You can go to the okay, website and great. your listeners can, can check it out themselves. But I think that it's important that, you know, you're talking to employers about flexible options, uh, particularly if you're at risk. Uh, you know, now is the time to raise any health or safety concerns, uh, particularly for parents uh, who have school children. Having those conversations with employers now uh, ahead of the fall school year is, is an important thing that you can do. Uh, avoid commuting on mass transit if you're in of a big course. city. We know mm-hmm. that that's a way that, that the, the virus spreads. Uh, you know, talking to your personal physician and figuring out, you know, what you can do uh, to protect your family. Um, when it comes to things like uh, school reopening, be engaged with your community. Make sure that you're talking to to your, your children's uh, teachers and others in the, in the school so you can address any concerns that you have and make sure that there were so many hurdles that we had to overcome in the spring. Let's start the fall uh, out, out on a better foot. And uh, and look, let's let's face it. We need to we need to reinforce those values that we all, all hold dear, uh, like our the freedoms that we enjoy. And so make sure that uh, you know, despite uh, the lockdowns and everything else that might come, you're still exercising that freedom of speech uh, in, in in ways that you can. And look, you and I enjoy it uh, on this program every Tuesday. And I think the, uh, there are so many ways that Americans can can make their voice heard today. Yes. And how close are we to a, a COVID nineteen vaccine? Well, you know, early indications suggested that we might see something in late 2020. It seems of late, though, uh, there's more talk about 2021. And even uh, even once we have a vaccine, Bill, I think that it's important to note that some early vaccine candidates aren't necessarily as uh, successful as as, uh, as they refine things. So while an early vaccine might keep us out of the hospital, it might not completely cure us. Uh, so I think we're going to continue to need to be vigilant. Look at what's happening with Major League Baseball right now. Uh, the Miami Marlins, of course, uh, a large number of players uh, who uh, tested positive uh, for COVID-19, and that's kind of disrupted uh, their season. Uh, we need to continue to, to figure this thing out. I mean, mm-hmm. we don't have all of the answers for it. And then part of it is going to be taking it on a, a case-by-case or step-by-step basis. And I applaud Major League Baseball for what they're trying to do, uh, while at the same time recognizing that it's not easy. It's not easy for schools. It's not easy for employers. Uh, we need to be in, we're all in this together, and we need to try to make the m- best and most educated decisions possible. Yeah. Rob, before I let you go, would you tell me again where, to go, where I go for stats on voter fraud? Yes, uh, it's heritage.org slash voter fraud. And that's the database uh, for your listeners to check it all out. Uh, it's uh, it's great. And, and Bill, we can set you up to have Hans on the show. I think he'd love oh, to come I would on love and talk Hans to you. On. Yeah. yeah, let's do great. that. All right. Thank you, Rob. And I'll uh, talk to you next week. Have a great rest of the Thanks, week. Thanks, Bill. Yep. Rob Blue has been my guest, executive editor of the Daily Signal. You should definitely check out DailySignal.com. Also go to Heritage.org slash voter fraud for those wonderful statistics. We'll take a break. When we come back, Dr. Greg (laughs) Borgon will be with me. Every guy listening right now is going, I know that theme song. Where's that from? Where's that? Where's that from? I know that music. Oh, it's one of my favorite movies. What is it? 
<laughs> Gladiator. That's it. Theme song, one of the many theme songs for Dr. Greg Borgon. He is in studio. We're talking about uh, the value of values today. Greg, welcome. That's good to be here. Good to be here. It is nice to have you. And I'm very excited to talk about uh, values and how they how they arise and how they're formed. And and, and you're going to be a great asset to uh, help us with this today. Yeah, well, it's obvious that, you know, this is a very large subject. And we probably won't get through it in this one setting. It may be take one or more uh, beyond this. But in any case, what, what kind of set me up for this, Bill, was I, I was prepping for a course I'm going to be teaching at the University of Northwestern called Foundations for Ethics for an undergraduate class. And it just kind of fell into place. So when we scheduled this, it was all part of the work I had been doing and prepping for this particular course. But it's also based a lot on what's been happening in uh, Heart of a Warrior in terms of some of the subjects, this being one of the main ones that we deal with. As a matter of fact, tonight I'll be with 20 men who are graduating from phase one of Heart of Warrior called the Compass, where they had to put down their uh, foundational beliefs, values, uh, their worldview, and their motives, and how they're going to implement it over the next six months. So values was a yes. significant and part And that's of a, that. a ministry you founded. It's called yep. heartofawarrior.org, if you want that's to right. learn more about yep. that. Okay. Well, maybe we could start by... Um, a brief introduction to values and as you had pointed out how they arise and how they're formed I think it would be helpful for your listeners to hear that as we move into this important subject so let's begin with um, a term uncommonly used when discussing values and that term is ethics ethics refers to uh, a system of moral principles and is concerned with what's good for individuals in society so ethics is also described as moral philosophy. So the term is derived from a Greek word, ethos, which can mean custom or habit or character or disposition. So essentially, there are three different approaches. Deontological ethics, don't let that scare you. It just it simply did. means, is it right? The second approach is called consequential ethics. Is it good? And then the third really the focus of our time today and, and maybe our next session is virtue ethics. How should I live? So virtue ethics addresses certain questions. Number one, what kind of person do I want to be? Two, what virtues bring me closer to this goal? And three, which vices prevent me from achieving it? And finally, is my behavior consistent with being a moral person? Because in this day and age and what we're experiencing in our society and even in our close environs here in Minneapolis and St. Paul are the whole issue of why do people do what they do? Well, it's essentially based on the values they hold, which motivate them to engage with regard to circumstances, events, or encounters. And so every particular action is based on whether that person can articulate it or not, or a set of beliefs and values, which is their worldview, which is based on the ethics that, that they hold. So uh, virtue ethics really uh, um, addresses or abides uh, by certain principles, and these are aspiring to a set of virtues, avoiding a set of values, uh, seeing integrity as a primary value, finding the right balance. So ethics then in general rests on the foundation of beliefs animated by one's values played out in the circumstances of our lives. So P. 
People embrace numerous authorities that inform and condition their ethics and subsequent beliefs that establish one's values. Your values act really as a stimulus for your actions. Mm-hmm. More specifically, decisions you make uh, given a set of circumstances, events, and encounters with others is based on a value that you hold. And so what you put in a position of authority, what you allow to inform and condition your beliefs and your values will determine the quality of behavior it ultimately produces or even the type of behavior that it produces. For instance, you can have set up as an authority in your life a tradition that you hold to or a heritage you embrace or a philosophy or ideology um, that you adhere to. It could be based <clears throat> on a worldview that you have or some ism like modernism or postmodernism or secular humanism uh, or hedonism or relativism or mm-hmm. pluralism or even polytheism or what we're dealing with today uh, in our culture, racism, and then certainly you, atheism would be one of those other isms. But when we talk about tradition, if that's in your position of authority, then what you're abiding by or what you're allowing to inform and condition your values will be the norms or, the, or, or roles that you are familiar with. It could be beliefs that you hold. Uh, it may include etiquette that you've been used to or even ritual that you've been exposed to some rules or convention or even folklore. That's what we mean by tradition, when we set up tradition Mm -hmm. as that authority. When we talk about heritage, what we're talking about is our culture and how we get our signals and our moors and our values from our culture. It could be our ancestry, certain values that we hold. I mean, I grew up in a French home, and one of the biggest values we had is to carry on the family name. Mm-hmm. So when my wife and I experienced four miscarriages, that was a blow to what I understood at the time was the heritage that I I had and that I inherited and that I embraced. And and uh, so God intervened and gave us a wonderful daughter who gave us four grandsons. And <laughs> so uh, God made up for what the locusts took, God restored. Even your family could be part of your heritage. Or let's talk a little bit about some philosophy or ideology. It could be capitalism that drives you. It could be socialism or it could be communism. Even Black Lives Matter, if you go to their webpage, you're going to find out what their philosophy and ideology is. And so you can understand whether you agree or disagree with them, why they act the way that they do. Just read what they believe. Mm -hmm. That's going to establish their values and so when they're in, when they encounter um, a circumstance or an event or or individuals, they're going to act in a certain way based on that philosophy or ideology that they hold. It could be Antifa, same thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, their central tenet is really anarchy. And so consequently, every action they take is to support that underlying belief that to destroy all government systems, um, uh, that, that they're a part of. White supremacy, the same thing. They have a certain set of beliefs and values that set up um, an authority in their life, and so they act in accordance with their beliefs and values until they disavow them and move on to something else. So that's what we mean, Bill, by philosophies and ideology that kind of sit that's in helpful. a privileged vantage yep. point of authority. Worldviews, well, it could be uh, any religion. It could be something like Christianity or Islam or Judaism. That's going to be an authority over your life. 
And then we already discussed some of the many isms, yeah. postmodernism being one of them. But for us as, as believers, it takes a conscious decision for us to say, you know what? My beliefs and values are going to be established on the foundation of the Word of God in Jesus Christ, period. It's not going to be based on tradition. It's not going to be based on heritage. It's not going to be based on some philosophy or ideology apart from our belief system. Our worldview, uh, if it's a biblical worldview, it certainly is going to be based on that. And so you've got to make the decision sooner or later what's going to inform, what's going to condition, what's going to establish my beliefs, and how is that going to impact the values I hold, and how will that govern the behavior I engage in. Does that make sense? Total sense. Complete sense. You did a nice job laying that out, too. So since we are all created in the image of God, albeit marred by sin, we bear in our person the remnants of God's code of ethics, if you will, evidenced by our conscience. So Romans 2, verses 14 and 15, talk about our conscience. It says, For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law, God's ethics in essence, is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. So the very fact, Bill, that we have a conscience is a part of the image of God. Now, that conscience can be seared, it can be marred, it can be calloused, it can be distorted. One day, what you strongly believed and acted upon is all of a sudden open game for you based on a number of circumstances. It may be unconfessed sin. It may be who you've been hanging around with all of a sudden is rubbing off on you. But nevertheless, the whole idea of a conscience is a God-ordained thing. It's part of God's general revelation. It comes along with being born in the image of God, mm. but it can be distorted. Can I ask a question, sure. Greg? When I think of conscience, and I might have this all wrong, I think of the, the Latin word con meaning with and science meaning facts. So I've always thought in part your conscience is what are your facts. And if my facts are a certain thing, that would then dictate what's in my conscience. I th- I think it goes a little bit deeper than that. I'm sure it does. I, I think what happens is the facts that you you construe, which may be your truth, will shape how your conscience responds over time. So the conscience, the fact that you have one, something that tells you the difference between right and wrong, is going to become distorted by the facts you see as facts in your life, and you start acting upon them. So, in other words, it'll condition it. So it's not just a a set of facts that you hold. Okay. It's facts that impact it and condition it and distort it, or as J.I. Packer, who had just passed away, a great theologian, says, mars the image of God in you. And so it no longer becomes that... um, you know, plumb line to determine right from wrong um, in, in, the, in the right way all the time. That's why you have to be proactive about what stands in that privileged vantage point of authority over your beliefs and values because that callous needs to be removed. Yeah. And, then, and when you come to Jesus Christ, 
God gives you a new heart, and so he quickens your conscience again. So the conscience is defined as the part of the human psyche that induces mental anguish and feelings of guilt when we violate it, and feelings of pleasure and well-being when our actions, thoughts, and words are in conformity to our value systems. So finally, uh, just one last comment about the conscience. The Greek word translated conscience in all in the New Testament actually means moral awareness or moral consciousness. The conscience reacts when one's actions, thoughts, and words conform to or are contrary to uh, a standard of right and wrong. And so that's what I mean when you stand, when you put something in a position of authority, that becomes your standard for what is right and wrong. And when it's the Bible and Jesus Christ and his teachings, your conscience is quickened, it's enlivened again, mm. and it starts to reflect more of the character and the heart of God or the ethics of God. Mm, I like that. Very well said. Dr. Greg Borgon is my guest. We're talking about values, and I'm going to take a little break, but we're going to be right back. Greg Borgon is my guest. He agreed to uh, come in today and talk about values. You can always head to heartofawarrior.org to learn more about him. He's an author and professor, and all kinds of wonderful wisdom comes out of his head. Today we're talking about, uh, of course, uh, values, and and let's uh, get right to the key. What is the key to all this, Greg? Whatever, again, you decide to put into that seat of authority in your life will inform condition, and establish your beliefs and values. And if you're not conscious about it, and if you're not proactive about it, then it's an amalgamation. It's kind of a hodgepodge or a smorgasbord, to mix metaphors, of various philosophies and ideology that weave their way throughout your consciousness and compel you to act one way one day and a different way the next day. Mm-hmm. And it's because it's you haven't made a decision to order your beliefs and values in accordance with a single authority. And I would advocate strongly as a believer in Christ that Jesus should be the focal point of that authority and the Word of God should be the mandate for that authority. Amen. So that's what I mean by whatever you decide to put into that seat of authority in your life, it will inform, condition, and establish your beliefs and values. Now, the audience may be familiar with the following statement. Sow a thought, reap an action, sow an action, reap a habit, sow a habit, reap a character, sow a character, reap a destiny. But few of us remember who the original author of that was. The original author author was Ralph Waldo Emerson. And it was underscored and repeated when Stephen Covey came out with his books, um, and and so that's where that statement actually came from. But it does have a, a basis in the Bible. So what does the Scripture say on the subject? I encourage our audience to turn to Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 through 10, which preceded Ralph Walter Emerson and certainly Stephen Covey. It says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh 
will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Not something off into the future, but something to be enjoyed now. Certainly off in the future, Mm -hmm. but to be enjoyed the abundant life now. So it isn't speaking about the hereafter. It's speaking about everything that comes after this understanding. And it goes on to say, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So wringing our hands over what's happening in our society and our culture today and in our, in our cities, even St. Paul and Minneapolis, is not very helpful. What we need to do is keep in front of us to do good to all whoever mm-hmm. come within our sphere of influence as much as is left up to us. So in summary, as we move into the more specific discussion about values, um, I'd just like to remind again the, the audience, our ethics provide the foundation for our morality and therefore our character. Our ethics consist of our beliefs and values, and our worldview is simply a repository for those beliefs and values. Mm-hmm. So let's now um, move toward uh, to the subject of values more specifically. Yeah, because we all have value, values, don't we? <laughs> we do. Uh, you know, I've run across so many people that love to verbalize what they value. And being somewhat of an imp in my soul, my wife will tell you that's the only thing that God hasn't removed in me yet is my <laughs> impishness, is I, I ask them the question, well, tell me, if this is a value you say you hold, talk, talk to me about a decision you made or an action you took within the last three months that validates the value you say you hold. Wow, you're tough. <laughs> and I don't do that to be <laughs> of them or, or put them in their no, place, but, a, but there's a little bit of imp in me. I get it. It's, <laughs> it's a great question. So, I mean, when somebody put says they up, believe right? something, that's exa- it's yeah. exactly, Bill. When somebody says they believe something or somebody says they value something, it, it was Hebrew scholars ages ago that said a belief is not a belief until you act on it. Right. So, same thing with a value. A value is not really a value. It may be an aspiration. It may be a preference. Uh, it may be a selection, but it's certainly not a commitment because there's nothing to validate it. If you look over somebody's behavior, there should be a trend mm-hmm. there that would validate you the value you say you hold. Right. So the question needs to be asked of yourself as well as others potentially, but certainly yourself. What is an action I took um, that validates the belief that I say I hold? What is a decision I made recently that underscores that this value is important to me. If we can't point to anything, yeah. it's simply an aspiration. I had a pastor ask a, a pretty um, devastating point-blank question to the congregation saying, can you recall quickly the last time you shared your faith with somebody? And can you also tell me what's the last thing the Holy Spirit sort of brought to life in Scripture? So in <laughs> other words, you're in the Word, yeah. and you're learning, and you're growing, and, and the Holy Spirit's revealed something. And then also, when was the last time you shared your faith with and shared the gospel with an unsaved person? If you can't answer those two questions, eh, yeah, yeah. Well, and 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 here's here's the where the rubber meets the road. And you've heard me share about this on the show uh, previously, Bill. Nobody really cares what you have to say. 
They really don't. <laughs> don't tell me. I host a radio Un- show, until, Greg. <laughs> until they observe <laughs> how you live. Here. And <laughs> if you live a life of integrity, authenticity, consistency, coherence, people will ultimately want to hear what you have to say. Uh, they may still disagree with you, but they'll listen to you. Why? Because they can't deconstruct a life well lived. Yeah. So when we put, when we take these values or we decide these are the values that I'm going to live by, this is the filter through which I'm going to process decisions of any consequence, this is how I'm going to be known, this is what's going to form my character, then we start living out what we say we believe and what we value. And then people who would normally not want to hear a word we had to say will ultimately come to us to hear what we have to say even if they disagree with us. So, as we move on here, all of us have values, whether, again, we can articulate them or not, because every decision we make is based on a value we hold. Even criminals have values. Now, the question you must ask yourself is, are your values based on biblical truth or on something else? That Mm -hmm. goes back to this whole issue of what's standing in authority over what you believe in value. Our behavior is governed by values, and our values are determined by our beliefs. What do you truly believe? So when when some politician says, well, these are my beliefs or this is what I adhere to, but I'm not going to let that interfere with how I govern. Mm -hmm. They've just lied to you. Right. Because it's impossible to operate out of what you say you value and what you truly believe because there's a direct correlation. It's it's a hard wire Mm -hmm. between what you truly believe at the core of who you are, not necessarily what you may verbally proclaim or articulate because it bears little correlation with how you behave, but what you truly believe at the core of your being will represent itself an overt behavior that will either bring glory and honor to God or dishonor and shame. There is no disjoint. There's no disconnection between what you truly believe and value and how you live and what you truly believe and value. There may be inconsistency in what you say you do, mm-hmm. but what you truly believe and value, there isn't an inconsistency, whether it's good, good or bad. So, our, again, our behavior is governed by our values, and our values are determined by our beliefs. So values are the bridge between beliefs and behavior. Say that again. Values are, are the, the bridge, bridge between, between beliefs, beliefs and, and behavior. behavior. Okay. Okay? Yep. So our value system acts as an operation or an operating system driving our everyday thoughts and behavior. God's principles found in Scripture are external laws that are permanent, unchanging, and universal in nature. Remember, the last discussion we had, the last time I was on the show, was about the Ten Commandments. Are they relevant for believers Mm -hmm. today? Yeah, that was great. And I believe that they represent the the heart of God and uh, uh, His his ethic. And so they they do have impact today. We we, uh, function underneath them not as a system of law of condemnation, but as an act of love because it represents the heart of God. So anyway, God's principles found in Scripture are external. Those laws that are permanent, unchanging, and universal in nature— Values, on the other hand, are internal and subjective, and they may change over time, according to Hugh Weckel, the executive director of the Institute for Faith, Work, and Economics. In Romans 12, 1 and 2, a familiar passage, I'm sure, to people uh, that are listening, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So what Paul is telling us uh, in this message in Romans is that our value system must be reprogrammed from time to time. Because the world will rub off on us. We're not going to be living in a ghetto. Mm -hmm. We're not going to be living in a protective environment all of our life. We will be engaging with the world around us. As a matter of fact, God compels us to engage with the world around us. We're not of the world, but we're called into the world to minister to the world for the sake of the world, but remain separate from the world. That's why it calls us aliens and strangers in Scripture. So our value system needs to be reprogrammed uh, over time. So our value system or character must be continually checked and realigned with God's principles. Okay, we're off to a great start on this, Greg. We're going to have to pick up in a, in a couple of weeks. Yeah, we're already, <laughs> we're already out of time. And I'm just getting started. This is awesome. I'm so looking can, forward to the continued discussion. Let's on do subject. part two and possibly part three on the values discussion next time we meet. Is that a deal? That's a deal. That's Dr. a deal. Dr. Greg Borgon has been my guest. Go to heartofawarrior.org. Greg, thank you so much for your um, willingness to come in and, and share this. Thank yeah. you. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah. It's good to be here, Bill. All right, we'll take a little break, and hour two is just ahead. We'll be uh, enjoying that with uh, Jeff Redorn. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.